Hey, how's everybody doing? We are back. This is, it is snowing in Southern California Saturday. What the hell is going on around these parts? I don't understand. I'm sports family therapist, couple marriage and family therapist, Dr. Lauren Pitts. Y'all know who that lunatic is. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of House Talk Pregame. I'm Ronnie Ransom, and we do have a special guest with us today that we're going to be getting into in a few minutes. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's snowing in Southern California. Uh, Virginia is suffering with bipolar disorder with the weather. Um, yeah, it, it just, you know, it snows in California and it's hot in Virginia. You know, who would have thought, you know? But, and it's 38 um, yeah, degrees in Texas. That's that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. So yeah, we're going to get into this topic uh, real soon, y'all. We got a great show lineup for y'all today. We got a guest on here today. He's going to be talking about his experience and everything as being a former collegiate athlete and whatnot. Um, he has a, a, a really incredible story and whatnot. Um, so Kevin Meminger, man, uh, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for coming in the house talking everything. How you doing this morning? I'm doing good. I just want to say thank you guys both for having me today. You know, I'm a big fan. I've seen a couple of episodes and I know it's about to go on and I think we're going to have a great conversation. Yes, Absolutely. Indeed. Well, thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you for all the support and everything. And for everybody out there who also wants to support, make sure you like, subscribe and, and you know, subscribe to the channel, like the video, because that does us wonders. We're able to produce more content for you all, give you all more information and insight. So thank you all. Make sure you all subscribe to Apple Podcasts. Um, yes. Make sure you all check us out on um, on YouTube. Uh, I don't think we're on Spotify yet, but we're working on it. <laughs> Yeah, she's um, working on it. Yeah, you can check us out on Facebook Live right now. If you're on Facebook, leave a comment if you have anything you want to add to the show. So, yeah, so we got a great topic lined up for y'all today. The anatomy of an athlete. Mm. You know, the five physical qualities of all, all athletes should be training are mobility, speed, power, strength, and conditioning. The best athletes are innately self-confident, and they truly believe that they will win. They also have the confidence to deal with any unexpected situations that may arise and speak up for themselves or their teammates when it's appropriate. So um, before we get into that, so Kevin, typically what we do before we get into the topic and everything, um, if me or Dr. Pitts have any mental health tips of the week, we normally go through that and everything. Um, Dr. Pitts, did you have a mental health tip of the week this week? Uh, or anything anything that you saw this week that you wanted to you know, share, process with, with, with the family and everything? Well, a couple of things. So where the mental health tip of the week is concerned, um, one of the things that, that I think that it's important for folks to understand is that, and we talk about it every week, right? The, the fact that athletes struggle with mental illness and we're hearing so much more about it, but one of the things that we address each and every single week is how, even though there's more awareness now, does that mean that there's more care going on now? And how important it is to address these stigmas that surround mental illness and, and really emphasize that. So when you look at some of the, the primary mental health struggles that athletes have, you know, eating disorders, burnout, depression, anxiety, um, substance abuse, I think that it's so important for us to connect the dots and hopefully you too will be able to do that effectively um, as, as former athletes the connection between the anatomy of an athlete and the, the mental piece, right? Because if your head is not right, your performance is not right. And we, you know, so oftentimes when we use that word anatomy, people just think physical, 
but the mental element is critical because what Ronnie and I, you know, what we all know from a, a clinical perspective is if your head is not on straight, it's going to adversely affect everything. And we see it. We see it particularly in professional sports. But then when you look at the history, you know, when they start talking about, oh, well, such and such a professional basketball player is demonstrating this behavior and such and such a professional football player is demonstrating this behavior or whatever the case may be. And then you go back. Well, guess what? These problems existed when they were playing at the collegiate level and they didn't get addressed. One of the things, Kevin, that, that Ronnie and I talk about mm -hmm. a lot, we over the years, we've made reference to Aaron Hernandez, right? And mm -hmm. how it was so evident when he was at Florida that there were mental health issues, but because it didn't appear to impact his performance, mm -hmm. it wasn't addressed. But what do we know to be true now? It was adversely impacting every area of his life. So it, it almost seems like if we were to look at him, for example, in the anatomy of an athlete, that the mental piece was all types of blown up, but because he was able to mask it, it didn't come out until it came out. And I think that it's gonna be really important for you two to connect the dots on that so that people understand that the mental aspect of an athlete's anatomy is a critical, critical element to stellar performance. So, and that was all I want to say on that. And then the other piece that I wanted to touch on is, <sighs> Ronnie, which aspect of Black History Month are you in? You in the Caucasian part or the Black part? <laughs> well, um, he only so celebrated I'm in, I see biracial cavity. He celebrate half the month. He's, he only his friends only allow him to celebrate Black History Month for half the month. So uh, currently, I'm in the Caucasian phase of Black History Month. Okay. Um, my my celebration ended on the 14th. Um, so I, I you know I kind of grouped my birthday and Black History Month within the first 14 days in the month. So you know, um, currently I am observing as a, um, a honorary uh, brethren during the rest of this month. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on the, I'm, I've transitioned to the other side uh, for the for the time being, but come back March 1st um, and I'll be right back in the middle where I need to be. Um, and, and Dr. Pitts, I'm glad you uh, kind of, you know, uh, laid that foundation to talk about mental health because mm -hmm. uh, um, Kevin, one of the, one of the first things I wanted to, you know, before we get into the nitty gritty of the conversation, um, kind of tell the people a little bit about, you know, where you're from, um, what mm -hmm. got you into sports, what sports you played, and, um, you know, a little bit of just your background in, um, in athletics and everything. Definitely. Um, so I was born and raised in Philadelphia. I spent eight years in Philadelphia, and I think that's where a lot of my sports ties come from, just because of the passion of the city. Um, when I was coming up, it was the prominence of Alan Iverson, it was the prominence of Donovan McNabb, it was the prominence of P.O. and Andy Reid. Um, when I was 10, Phil's got a got a World Series dub, and so I think that between my father and my grandmother in the city, um, I was I've really been instilled with sports just like throughout my life. Um, I've always thought my dream was always to play basketball. I thought like my pops played at Washington State, and I thought that I was going to just be a hooper like throughout probably until I got to like ninth grade, and I was like I'm not that tall, 
And I'm not that skinny, so I kind of transitioned to playing football, and then I really saw opportunity arise when I started taking it more serious on my junior year when we moved up to California. Um, I had, you know, some all-conference accolades in high school. Um, I went through Golden West Junior College, played there for two years. Um, I started my sophomore year. Um, we had a ball game against Doritos and Ramondre Stevenson from New England, and that wasn't that fun. Uh, but I was able to get some scholarship opportunities. Um, I was at Kentucky State for a year where I took a redshirt season, and then I finished my last collegiate football playing years over at McKenzie University, which is the D2 um, in the GLVC. And, yeah, I played D-tackle throughout my entire time, and I just I just love football. When I really got to start playing and really, you know, felt that passion that I felt while I was watching the games inside mm-hmm. for myself, you know, it really turned me up, and I was just—I really was just blessed to be able to play as many college years as I did. Um, I was able to get my associates, my bachelor's of arts and communication studies, and then um, I just finished up with my master of business administration um, last December. Okay. Nice. Congratulations, man! That's awesome. Appreciate That's it. awesome. And, and thank you for you know sharing your story um, about your athletic journey. So that leads me to my uh, my next question, man. So as Dr. Fitz talked about, you know how a lot of times. Um, the mental health of our professional athletes, you know, a, a lot of times we don't always observe the red flags or maybe some of the concerns or warnings about our athletes because, you know, we we tend to exploit their talent more than we do the person. Um, and, you know, talking about mental health with, you know, athletes is kind of a new thing within the last few years. So, mm-hmm. so Kevin, kind of talk to us about, you know, your experiences um, with, you know, learning about your mental health and, and really, you know, now that mental health is kind of more of a forefront topic and more discussed, a lot of times, a lot of the behaviors and emotions and feelings that we've experienced over the years, we didn't have a proper name for it, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, as men, you know, especially as football players, it was kind of, you know, like you either soft or you're good, you know, mm-hmm. there was really no in between. So just kind of talk to us a little bit about your mental health journey, um, you know, and how did athletics, you know, shape, form, or maybe even hinder um, your, your mental health journey through the years? That's a great question. I think that um, especially with the era in which I'm growing up and social media is at such a forefront, I think that, like, there's a, like, idolization of a lot of people and people, you know, see things that they think that can happen, like, right now or today. And I think that affects a ton of young athletes coming up just because, you know, Everybody want to be on Bleacher Report or ESPN Top 10 and get this notoriety. And I think it affects them when they hit, like, the slightest curve in their path. Uh, For me, mental health has been something, like, it's been a journey just as much as, like, playing football has been. Um, I really got, you know, I got down in the dumps probably my freshman, my sophomore year of college. I was just having a hard time, you know, with living situations and with everything. And that's when I really started going to therapy myself. And seeing like the stigma between being not only a football player, black man, all that just kind of came right, you know, to my face. And like it's just it's been a journey that I've had to go through and talk to people and express how I've been feeling outside of the realm of sports. And I think that one thing that I know I did a lot was I used it as an outlet. But when that, you know, when you have any bump and how you're playing or practice or, you know, an injury and you can't use that same, like get that same emotion out. I kind of, you kind of get like, you know, caught up and it's difficult. And I think that it, it takes a lot of 
open communication and a lot of vulnerability. And I think that's what people struggle with because they don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to show weakness. They don't want to show anything. And although it's not necessarily a weakness or anything like that, um, I just think that's what it is portrayed as. And it makes it difficult for a lot of guys. And it made it difficult for a lot of my teammates. I know this past season, um, I talked to the therapist and she was like, yeah, this is the most football players we've ever had come through to just come and get free therapy from the school. And it's, it's like, I think that it's necessary because of how many other stressors are affecting, you know, athletes, especially at this level, when you can't just rely on your sport to be the thing that, you know, solves it and figures it out. And I think that's what a lot of, a lot of my teammates either resort to, if I'm not playing, then I'm frustrated and I'm mad, or if I'm, mm-hmm. I got to go smoke and drink and do all this stuff to get that out somehow because I'm not either having the same success as I was previously or this just isn't going how I thought it would be. Yeah. So it's a slippery slope. Right, right. And, and thank you for sharing that, man. Yeah, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to touch on a couple of things. Um, the, 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 for a second, I want to circle back, Kevin, because one of the things that you were telling us um, before we went live, and I think you mentioned it um, when you were, were telling us about, you know, your journey is that you were your red shirt year at Kentucky State. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we, so a lot of our emphasis is on HBCUs. Mm-hmm. And we do a lot mm-hmm. of talking about Coach Prime and the difference between play at a PWI um, versus at an HBCU. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you know Coach Prime talked about in the different documentaries that they did on him, um, when he was at Jackson State was the condition of the facilities and just the overall program having so many issues as it relates to the standards of facilities and, and the whole nine yards. And when you look at that in relationship to mental health, can can you speak to what it was like playing at and even though you were redshirted, you were still part of the, the program. And and if that impacted your mental health at all, being at an HBCU where what we know is that the bottom line is the programs and the facilities and what have you are completely different if you're at a power five or whatever the case may be. Definitely. Um, I think that it was hard. Um, I have a lot of teammates who still go through, like former teammates who are still going through the difficulties when it comes to like even just getting housing, um, meal plans. Like, you know, it was it was very difficult. I think that fall camp probably took the biggest toll on my mental health when I first got to Kentucky State in um, fall 2019. I think that, you know, it was just, we, we got to walk. We had to walk up a hill, it was probably like a, a mile and a half walk. If you didn't have a car, uh, you had like, you know, our locker room wasn't the best. Um, you know, stuff stuff that you see, like I'm saying, like you see all the fancy locker rooms and fields and all the equipment that people get. And, you know, we get, you know, all practice jersey and, you know, Russell, a couple of Russell pairs of shorts. And like, I think we got like maybe one set of shorts and shirts like my whole freshman, like my whole um, freshman year there. So it, it definitely takes a toll. Like it feels like my teammates, I would say this was like Juco. This was, it was like, no, 
Like, it feels worse than JUCO because I just came from JUCO. And, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that it starts it starts at the higher – it starts higher than it does with um, than the athletic department. Um, it, it feels like throughout that time there were a lot of people who were trying to express themselves. And they were just, you know, falling on deaf ears. And mm-hmm. I think that for me, like being a junior, it was a little bit different. Like I was I was struggling just being away from home and everything and going through this experience. I just felt completely different. Mm-hmm. But I think like for guys who were like their first year there, they really got to they, they didn't get a real college experience mm-hmm. um in terms of facilities, in terms of just mm-hmm. buses, transportation, all of that. I think it definitely at the HBCU level, it's just not the same. It's, like, not even close. And mm-hmm. I hate that because the athletes and, like, you know, it takes – it makes them seem as if they aren't comparable to those of the Power mm-hmm. Five, but these guys can still play. Like, it's mm-hmm. a lot of guys who can still really play. It's just that, you know, they're not getting fed the right way. We're not, mm-hmm. you know, able to do everything the same way as like it's not as structured and even my my experience I did have structure with Coach Jackson um he was a militant person he came from a military background and mm-hmm. so he tried to establish that but it takes it took it, it seemed to have taken more of a university than just solely the football like and that mm-hmm. was just football I can't even speak on the other athletes you know mm-hmm. the volleyball teams the baseball teams like those athletes had you know, they might have had it way worse than we did simply off of the fact that they weren't as prominent or didn't bring in as much revenue as the football team they had. So uh-huh. it, it's just, it's not, it's not as fair. I, I definitely would say it's not fair. And I know it affects, it affects a huge toll on uh-huh. a lot of the athletes who play and it affects how they play. It feels uh-huh. instead of like the opportunity to, you know, promote the school, it's almost uh-huh. like, how do I get out of this situation? And I don't think it should feel like that. It sounds like it's like the projects of, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful because I mean we love our HBCUs. I'm HBCU graduate, and you know so is Ronnie. But it when you when you talk about it, it when the the teammates said to you, you know, this this is worse than JUCO, and you're like, yeah, no, (laughs) it's almost it to me, it 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 connects to the same attitude that athletes have about why they want to go pro so bad so that they can get their family out of these low socioeconomic situations where whether they are living in project you know subsidized housing or whatever the case may be and it and it is just it's bad ronnie i know you had something you want to say and then i have another follow-up question that i that i want kevin to to tease out for us I had kind of a two part. First part, did you take a visit to Kentucky State before you had um, transferred there? I didn't. I um I took a virtual and did the virtual visit and everything mm-hmm. just because I didn't want to catch the flight out to uh, Frankfurt. How many days were you on campus before you were like, bro, what the hell is this? Like, I, <laughs> I think I think my first so my first day we got dropped off, and I was just like, okay, like you know, it's it's different. But I mm-hmm. think that first practice, I went, I woke up, and I was going to walk to uh, to the field, and it was like I saw some cows, and some, no, not not some cows, I saw some deers running around, and I was like, all right, man, I don't know what's going on. Like I'm really in Kentucky for real. Like this is like Frankfort, Kentucky is definitely not the hottest spot in Kentucky. So 
Not at all. Like probably it probably took me like two two days when I was, I was like, yeah, I don't. This isn't Kansas. Whatever they say, and uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's not. It's not that. <laughs> that is and you know, I, and I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned that because, um, and I've talked about it on the show in previous episodes. Um, my first two years at state, like we had, like it won't even secondhand uniforms and and stuff. It was like third and fourth hand uniforms, gear, equipment. I always said, like I remember my sophomore year vividly towards the end of the season we had ran out of the string for your shoulder pads and stuff. Mm-hmm. We had to take tape and literally roll it into a mm-hmm. string to put it in there so we could have our shoulder pads put together because we just didn't have the resources. And I always tell people like, you know, two things make it really hard to want to go out there and perform as an individual. Number one, when you don't have the resources. So like gear, equipment, facilities, stuff like that. Number two, on top of not having gear, facilities and equipment, when you lose it. Like, and I always, you know, I always want to ask other people who go to HBCUs and play sports, like, you know, especially for people who might not have had successful teams and everything, like, what was that like? Because I know my freshman and sophomore year at State, I was literally on, you know, like the NCAA website, like, all right, who the hell can I transfer to? Because this ain't it. Like, I mean, it was miserable. Like, nobody likes to lose. But nobody likes to lose, and you are you losing on campus, you losing in the uh, you know equipment room, you losing on you know accessories and everything, and then we go out there and lose the game. Like everything just felt like one big L, and then you know you transfer to the uh, you know your um, I, what was the uh, last school McKendry, you know in the Great Lakes Valley Conference, which for people who don't know about the GLVC historically, they are a powerhouse conference in D two football. Um, they have a lot of great teams um, in D2 football and everything like that. So I would imagine transferring from Kentucky State to McKendry, you know, to, you know, really, what was that transition like? So I, I can say this, like, um, when I first got to Kentucky State, I mm-hmm. saw kind of what you're speaking on because the previous season they had went on 10. And that's mm-hmm. wonderful. <laughs> so going, yeah. going winless isn't fun. I remember me walked into the cafeteria, like one of my first days there, and the band people were cutting us. They was like, yeah, y'all play football, right? Like, y'all sorry. Like, like y'all not getting y'all food before us. Like, oh I was goodness. looking around like, what? Like, that's how they get down? Like, for like, like I, it was somebody literally that missed, like, dude from percussion came through. Said, yeah, y'all, y'all sorry. Like, y'all went on 10 last year. Like, we don't care. And wow. so that, like, I, I will say that with what Coach Jackson attempted and he was successful in choices and I believe he went seven and three. Um what he was able to do was definitely transition the program. He had out, outside of our differences in terms of like how he viewed me as a player, I mm-hmm. felt as if he had a lot of he had a lot of the right mindset for what he wanted. Like it was similar to what Coach um Prime had did down at Jackson State. He came, you know, it was no jewelry. He took off all the jewelry first day topped off everything. Like I said, he was real militant, but I think that he held players accountable. Um, right. And like, you know, it was, it became, at least for the football program, the structure was a real big thing for him. I might have not always agreed and liked it and, mm-hmm. you know, thought it was wrong, but I think that he, for himself, he was trying to shift that and trying to change that um, and try to put more respect on the program, especially for HBCU you know, to have somebody take those steps. He tried to get us Nike gear and get us, you know, fitted for suits and stuff. 
you know, he was proactively trying to take those steps. Whereas when I got to my PWI, I felt like it was supposed to be just like, you know, everybody going to get stuff, everybody giving stuff. I think that the structure um, in terms of just the whole entire athletic department and like the school, people cared more. People cared more about how their athletes were doing. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, we're not a powerhouse program in like D2. So we still had times where I feel like there could have been more focus on how the athletes are eating more focused mm. on like you know just different aspects of collegiate lifestyle and it, it does still cause people to hit the portal and see if there's better opportunities because it's like it's good but again there's it's a thousand schools who you know give out 10 20 shirts and you get a bag and all this stuff and so i think that you know it was different but not too i think it not not too different it really started with like you know the the passion that Coach Jackson had for trying to change it. And I think mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, dropped off when I switched to McKendry. I think that they didn't have that. They kind of had this more like, oh, it's supposed to happen because we're, you know what I'm saying, we get money, we're a private-owned institution. Like, it was seemingly like, oh, it is what it is, we'll do it. Like, we have Under Armour, we have our deal, and I'll get your Under Armour stuff. But, like, it wasn't, it wasn't, it, it, was, it wasn't that big of a drop-off when I actually switched. What was student, what was, uh, I guess, you, like social slash student life like between Kentucky State and McKendree? You know, Kentucky State being in the middle of, you know, literally nowhere. I, I'm not for sure. I know McKendree's in St. Louis, but I don't know if it's in like the outskirts or like, you know, yeah. what that. So what was, what was student like, you know, being at HBCU? Because, you know, HBCUs have this, you know, reputation of being, you know, party lit, you know, always, you know, always doing something. Yeah. So what was student life like, you know, compared between the two schools? I definitely said that people had more of a good time and represented their school with more passion at Kentucky State. Um, I think that, like, people just try to find stuff to do at HBCU. That's always how I felt. Like, they, it don't matter if it's 2 in the morning. Like, it'll be a conglomerate of people in the quad. Like, what y'all trying to do, y'all trying to just be outside, just trying to connect. And I thought, like, the culture was great. I, and I never speak down. I thought Kentucky State had a great culture in terms of just the students. The students made it what it was. Like, mm-hmm. the people, like, the, the students enjoy being around each other and enjoy being there. And I made some great friends who tried to have me. Like, I'm a homebody. And so <laughs> my friends always tried to get me to go outside and stuff. And I was like, nah. But they always they always push to have fun and represent their school with great pride. And they were really proud to be thoroughbreds. And I really respected that. And, you know, the people who were there for four years, like, even just, like, the homecoming events, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, you know, it's, it's something random on a Wednesday. like. After Fried Chicken Wednesday, like that's just if it's an Uno game, like people want to go on Chicken like, Wednesday. <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? Bro, so it was, I, it was definitely culture. Do y'all have Fish Friday too? Nah. Just, like, <laughs> like, have, I'm about to say, bro, every HBCU got Fried Chicken Wednesday and Fish yes, Friday. It seemed like, but yes, um, you know, one thing I always appreciate about HBCUs, and, and I'm gonna ask both of y'all if y'all if y'all saw the same thing. And I don't know if you was there during the spring semester, Kevin. But every spring semester, the moment we had anything over 65 degrees, there was one thing you could be sure of that was going to happen on campus. There was going to be a DJ that popped out of nowhere, start playing music, and there was going to be a pop-up social on campus the moment the sun came out and the weather was nice during the spring semester. And I always that's how I always knew it was getting ready to be warm outside. That first social that just pop up on a random Tuesday or Wednesday during lunch hour, 
because it feels good outside. And those are some of the things like we will find any reason to just have a good time and, and you know, come together, collaborate, you know, celebrate, party, whatever the case may be. Yeah. It didn't take much for us to find a reason to just do that. And I always find it so funny that a lot of other people on HBCU campuses kind of do the same things, you know. Definitely. The fact that more yeah. times than not, I don't think we've had a person on here from HBCU that doesn't have a fried chicken Wednesday. I think that's absolutely <laughs> hilarious because it's like, what did y'all all coordinate this on, you know, every semester or whatnot? But um, so, yeah, I, I always think, you know, the, the culture on HBCU campuses compared to PWIs. Now, I've never been to a PWI, but I've been to a couple homecomings at a PWI and it's not even close. It, not it's even not close. even close. Mm -hmm. Just the family atmosphere that HBCUs kind of give off, like you talked about. It's a family reunion. Right. Yeah. It, it's a huge family reunion. You know, it gives a chance for the alumni to come back and talk about the new students, give the chance for the new students to come back and talk about the old students. So, you know, it's always a beautiful thing. But um, yeah, that's what's up, man. I know, Dr. Piz, you had a question because I asked like three in a row. So I know you had a question. <laughs> See, I told you how he does. <laughs> so I wanted to, uh, the other follow-up was I wanted to go back to the mental health piece when you, um, and thank you for your um that's his terrorist photo. Um, <laughs> no idea why he just did that, but okay. Um, I was like, Ronnie, why did he look like a terrorist? But um, that was so inappropriate. Forgive me. Um, but um, when you talk about the your journey as it relates to, to mental health, um, you know, you know, I have to ask, right? Because with your dad being a mental health <laughs> clinician, um, and one of the things that Ronnie and I talk about all the time, there he is, um, is the the academic piece, right? We there's all this focus on the the athletic component and that connection to mental health. But you also have to look at the academic pressures. And I happen to know <laughs> that your father and your mother are very, 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 very big on education, both of them having advanced degrees and being very serious about their careers. So what was that like for you having to deal with the all of the adjustments that you were trying to make, the challenges that you were having with your mental health, but also recognizing the expectations that were being imposed upon you by your mom and dad academically. And oh, by the way, your dad is a mental health practitioner. What the heck yeah. was that like for you? Yeah, that's another great question, Dr. Fitz. I think that it was difficult because since they could do it, I knew it was plausible. And I've always felt that they did it with harder circumstances than I did. Mm -hmm. And so that made me kind of introverted and wanting to speak about it just because, like, mm -hmm. like you're saying, you're going through all these things. You know, I'm, I think really when I felt it the most was my sophomore year. I was taking um, 18 units because um, I was just ready to graduate. I had like six classes. I had a couple of mm -hmm. jobs. And it was like, Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk and resort to them and like kind of express how I felt to them um, mm -hmm. just because they're so like they're big on education. They've been big on education my whole entire life. Mm -hmm. um, and they're both extremely educated. And it, mm -hmm. it's hard because I feel like my mother, especially like I always tell her like she did it with two kids. Like, mm -hmm. She was able to like it took her a while, but she's going to get her doctorate right now. But I was like, you know, I was there for her watching her get her master's when she got uh -huh. from UNLV. And I watched how 
she played it off great. Like, that's one thing. She, my mm-hmm. mom never made it seem as if anything was going on in the world and everything was just fine. Yeah. And so for me to be able to have the scholarships, the, the, you know what I'm saying, everything that I had, even in JUCO, I felt like I was like, I was in a better position than they were. Mm-hmm. And I like, you know, I just, I, I think that it hindered me a little bit because I therefore put more pressure onto myself. Like if they can do it, I can do it without asking mm-hmm. for help or doing anything. Mm-hmm. And then when I really sat down and talked to them, they were like, yo, you could have said something at any point, right. like both of them. And like, you know, me and my dad had a real deep talk um, when I was in my um, junior year at Kentucky State. Um, mm-hmm. one day, cause he, he was just like, you know, you could share all that with me. And I was like, I'm trying to just do it. Like I saw you mm-hmm. guys do it and I'm trying to just do it. And so mm-hmm. I've never put like, even now, like I tell him all the time, like I got my MBA, it's no big deal. Like I, I don't think it's that big of a deal because mm-hmm. I watched them do it without think with, and I'm not the only, like, you know, there are other people who have done, you know, great things with yeah. hard, hard, harder hardships than I have. Yeah. Um, and I think that it kind of, it kind of played, like I said, on both sides of the coin to where, like, yeah, it motivated me to want to be better and to keep striving forward and, like, you know, mm-hmm. get through adverse times. Mm-hmm. But I could have, like, utilized them as resources, especially, you know, mm-hmm. with them having knowledge about it, my dad having knowledge about it. Yeah. Um, I think I could have utilized them, but I just – I didn't want them to think that I had any excuse, you know. Yeah. So it definitely yeah. was difficult. Yeah. Look, and they wouldn't have accepted the excuses had you made them. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Neither no. one of them would have let that fly. They'd be like, yeah, man, go ahead with that. We're not doing that. Yeah. What you going like, to do about it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, Indeed. my mom always tells me, like, you just got to make a decision. Like, you know, man, like, no matter what it is, you have to make a decision. Um, Don't be scared of failing. Don't be scared to, like, you know, she's real big on that. She's half cup, like, cup half full, super optimistic. And yep. so sometimes she sees bright sides that I don't even see. And I'm like, ah, yeah. man. Like, yeah. and that, like I said, it can affect the mental health because you're sitting in the dark thinking, man, nothing's going to get yeah. better. And then first thing she says, everything's fine. Like, right. you're going to be fine. <laughs> so, right. yeah, it's always been difficult. But it's something like I've, I've had to, I've had to really learn um, how to balance my relationship with them um, and really learn how valuable the relationship and titles are. Um, I took a lot of family communication classes and a lot of communication studies courses. And I had to realize, like, you know, how to talk to them and how to express myself to them. And so it took me a little while, but I think I'm still learning and getting better at it. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I, I like it, Ronnie, you know, to, to connect the dots a little bit. When, <laughs> when, when you talk about how they both were, it reminds me of so just a little bit of history. So my first job as a therapist was in corrections and Kevin's father was training me and and I have accredited a lot of my um a lot of my my skill set and my expertise and my tenacity as a clinician to his dad because he just didn't he just didn't allow me to be soft and oh by the way I was in corrections and I remember it like it was yesterday because I had applied to Drexel's program for my master's degree and it was a whole bunch of stuff going on and there I ended up having to move my application from one term to the next so so I was instead of starting in 2010 I was going to start in 2011 and somebody at Drexel had messed the paperwork all up 
And I came to work. <laughs> I came to work crying about getting this letter saying that, you know, I was going to have to reapply all over again. I was going to have to do all the interviews, the whole nine yards. And just as clear as day. And his dad is like this big Suge Knight looking mug. And he says, shut up. <laughs> and he said, he said, shut up and stop crying. <laughs> he said, oh my God, right? here's the compassion right there. Yeah. You know, stop, stop crying. And interestingly enough, at the time, at the, the correctional facility that we were working at, one of the staff psychologists or psychiatrists was on the board at Drexel. And he said, you need to go in there and talk to Dr. So-and-so and explain what it is to transpire and see if he can help you and wipe your face. Before <laughs> yeah. you go in there and had this conversation. He was like, you're going to grass. And he just like kicked my back in. But at the end of the day, it was what I needed because what do we know to be true? There's nothing easy about this work and you cannot be, you can't be soft. You can't be all easily provoked and triggered and all of this stuff. So even in that, it was part of my preparation. So I feel Kevin's pain. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, I don't feel supported right now <laughs> in my development <laughs> as a clinician because you're not showing any empathy right now. But at the end of the day was what his narrative was, was, okay, here's the challenge. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And that's it. Yeah, that, that sounds like him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah word, it makes word. all the difference in the world between success and failure. It does. Yeah, Ronnie. Oh yeah, absolutely. So Kevin, um, so kind of in uh, in lieu of the topic of the show, as far as you know, just you know, being you know preparing uh, physically and mentally and stuff like that. What were some of the differences you noticed in how um, from your community college to Kentucky State to McKendry, how just as far as like prepping your body? What were some of the uh, the differences, or what were some of the similarities you noticed about each school you went to and how they prepared their athletes um, to get ready for game day and things like that? Definitely. I think that um, in junior college, it was it was exactly what it was in junior college. And so, like, we had one trainer, you know, we didn't have – it was nothing fancy. We would meet in the gym before we went um, to get on a bus, and then we would just travel and go play. Like, you know, same, like, the schedules were based around our school. Um, during junior college, I had, like, a couple jobs, various jobs. Um, but I had a job at a pizza spot, and I was able to, like, you know, I was always able to eat <laughs> at the pizza spot um, because I think that the hardest part about California JUCOs is like there was no real meal plan. And wow. so it was really like people would just show up in ball. Like I have a couple, like all of my friends now who are like taking those steps to the next level um, professionally that I met in junior college, like struggled. Like I have a, um, a friend, Justin Ford. Um, he plays cornerback at Montana. Um, I have a friend, VJ Malo, he plays defensive tackle at Portland State. And I remember, like, we used to, like, struggle to eat, like, just eat meals during the week. Like, and so, like, they will always come. We always, like, when I was working at the pizza spot, it was free food for my guys, you know what I'm saying? And so we tried to get, tried to get in what we could, and then we would just play. Like, I, I think that it was really, like, we practiced hard and everything, but, the, like, it was about the mindset of each player. 
And mm-hmm. like we would go in there like, you know, we'd have one shot to get to what we want to do. We have one shot to get to where we could go be somewhere that gives us the gear, gives us these milk. Like it was that was the mindset. Like we got we had guys who loved the game, but we had guys who were hungry. Um, Kentucky State, it was a little bit different when it comes to the preparation. I think Coach Jackson made it to where it was more militant, like I said, but he was very focused on professionalism. He was very focused on treating, like, you know, he would take the guys to the hotel in Louisville before a home game just so they weren't in their dorms to get that mm-hmm. different feeling of preparation before heading into the game. You know, mm-hmm. so it was definitely, like, you know, a more focused, more football is a business orientation. Like, you know, you're going to go, we're going to treat this like it's a job and that's how we're going to attack the games. That's how we're going to attack the practices. There is no real, you know, like this is the real world in the sense. Um, McKendry, I think that we prepared more physically. I think that that's probably where I felt my strongest, where I felt my fastest. Um, I think that it just is, again, back to that conversation of, being able to do things you know, like the opportunities we had, we have more athletic trainers. We had, you know, people who I could go work out with at 6 a.m. or 2 p.m. There wasn't, you know, oh, he's only here at 6. This is when you can get it in. Um, right. They try to build it, the programs, weightlifting programs, um, like they try to get the dietary stuff going and a more like structured, here's what you should eat, good things to eat, here's how you eat it, get your meal plan going. Um, this is when we're going to practice. This is how we're going to run. This is how we're going to do these things to prepare your body and get you feeling the best. Um, way more stretching, stuff like that. Just way more self-care. Um, go to seeing the trainers rolling out, stuff like that, more ice baths. So I think that physically I felt my best at McKendry. Um, structurally, it was definitely Kentucky State just because I think it was never a time where Coach Jackson throughout that whole season he had, he knew what time we were supposed to be everywhere all the time. So wow. it was like it was like if he wanted me at breakfast at eight oh one and you know, we'd be there at eight oh one, not anything between before or after. And with Juco, it was just kinda like you gotta stay focused for yourself because nobody mm-hmm. cares if you eat. Nobody's counting on you, nobody cares. Like literally nobody cares. Like it would be guys who would just be on campus. And be like, oh, yeah, he was on the team two weeks ago. And, like, huh? okay, we move. Like, you just got to keep it pushing because everybody has – it's really individuals who have their own goals and focus. And the team isn't even as big as the fact that it's just about doing it with the guys around you and trying to get out. Did you ever have one of those um, one of those workouts during off-season or even during the season where you was just like, bro, like – this ain't it, man. Like, because I know every every time we had winter workouts, we always had that one workout that was just absolutely trifling. Um, like I remember when um, going into my junior season, we had got brand new coaches, and our new head coach, uh, Coach Latrell Scott. Like, I kid you not, our first winter workout, like workout number one, um, we ran suicides for forty five minutes straight, and you know, on a basketball court, you know, it's no just over and back. It's from baseline to uh, free throw and back, baseline to um, mm-hmm. three-point and back, and so on and so forth, and they were timed. And literally just the whole goal of that workout, he just wanted to see who was going to quit. Like, wow. there was no rhyme or reason outside of, he just wanted to see who was going to quit. And, mm-hmm. I mean, we had probably like 10 trash cans in that joint. Like, 
everybody in there throwing up, you know, nobody's in shape, everybody falling out sideways. You ever had one of those workouts where you just like, bro, this, this is, this is real. Like this, 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 that real workout right here. I've had, I've had so many times where I was waking up and just sat on the edge of the bed, like, don't want to play ball for real. <laughs> like, do, I, do, I, do I love this like I say I do? Because this, this one, like, we had, in JUCO, I did, I was really trying to get out. So we had, like, 4 a.m. workouts. And then we would go, like, I'd go take a shower, go do what I had to do. But I always felt like, yeah, they're ruined. Like, we had some tough ones. But I was like, it's, it's just football. I got to Kentucky State that second day at camp. And Coach Jackson has said, we're we going to have a voluntary uh, running at uh, 3 p.m. <laughs> so we got out there at 3 p.m. It was 24, 100-yard sprints, Tom. And I'm, this is in August. This is like, we ain't put pads in. This is just in Kentucky. the second day August, of every, in Kentucky. And so when I tell you, it was like the first couple – Right, we had a we had a um a guy his name was Chris Roberts, super good, big Chris, and um I was trying to compete with him. He was an OG, he had been there for like four years, and so like I'm seeing him, I'm like I'm gonna put my cleats on right next to him. I'm gonna try to like see how hard he's running these and everything. He got hurt like the third one, right? He hurt oh. his hand like the third one. So I'm like my first three or four, I'm uh, I'm busting it. I'm trying to go. <laughs> I got to like twelve, and I didn't know how many we were running at that point. When I got to like twelve and he just was like on the line, I was like, ooh, <laughs> ooh. And then that became that was that was that that whole season was like, ooh, yeah. That that's not fun no more. <laughs> Zero fun. No more. I don't I, like to run like this. Like I'm sick. My stomach is in my chest. I don't I can't breathe. Like it was I, it was bad. It was I bad for sure. Bad. Them them college workouts get real, man. Like I had I had many mornings doing winter work because our winter workouts we always had them at five a.m. because the way our class schedules were set up, mm-hmm. so we never had afternoon workouts. They were always in the morning, and we would be outside. Like you know, wintertime in Virginia, it gets 20, 30 degrees at night. Yeah. And our track when I was there, our track was orange. Like we had an orange mm-hmm. track and everything, but it would be so cold outside that it'd be nothing but frost on there. So the whole track would be white. Mm-hmm. We out there running sprints and everything. You try not to bust your, you know, bust your butt on the track and everything. And yeah, I, I had a lot of mornings where I'd be like, I don't like football this much. Like I, I like a lot of other things. I like my I like my bed more. My bed is more warm than this. My bed don't talk back to me, call me out my name, ain't got me on the line at five in the morning running sprints. Yeah, I Man, yeah, it's my bed. My bed used to talk. I feel like sometimes I look just at my pillow, like, man, please tell me my alarm clock not going off. Like, please, it's just it's so. Let me let me ask you this because we we do got about maybe 10 15 minutes left. Let me ask you this, um, you know, because you you said you shared a lot of insightful things, man. Um, and so I think. You know, one of the things I always tell people is is that I think all kids should play, whether it's individual or team sports. I think all kids should play some type of sport. If you can't play a team sport, play a team sport, because I think team sports resemble so much about life, you know, just everyday life, working together with people and things like that. But as a former student athlete, as a former collegiate athlete, 
What's something that you wish people who didn't play sports, whether it was at the high school or college level, could understand about collegiate athletes that maybe they don't understand? A lot of times we get, you know, misconceptions about, you know, we got it made, we got it easier, you know, school is easier for us, life is easier for us. What's one thing that you felt like people didn't understand about you as a college athlete that you wish they would have understood when you played? I think that, uh, again, y'all y'all got a great question. Um, I think that time management was a huge one. Um, I think that sometimes people like give us the benefit of the doubt and think that everything is built just for us. But I mm-hmm. think that um, in terms of time, like learning time management, I think that, you know, with guys who may have not had that growing up or guys who don't like learn that or just have the opportunity like to get taught that and whether it's in middle school, high school or something like that, you see it in college, like jump out. Like you see like the guys who you could tell like played the video games all night like you can't do that no more and I think that it's really time management and financials I think are the biggest thing um Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times like the guys who I've been like who I've gotten to share to feel with are guys who aren't you know made financially aren't silver spoon guys and so it's it's more dire for them to get it that way to play that like to be an athlete than it is to just be a student um and I think that's that real distinction like I think sometimes students think um, oh yeah, it's sweet for that like the football players. Like it's nothing like but no, it's just I don't it, it's it's not fun trying to find that hour window where you can do your stats homework, you know, between mm. film, between lifting, you know what I'm saying, between extracurricular like activities and stuff. So I really think time management is a big one that it, it gets kind of misconstrued. I think that people think, you know, we got all the time in the world and it's like for me to have to support myself financially and then, you know, play sports and then get my degree. Like it was just, it was something that it was hard. And I had to get a planner. I had to sit down. I had to like, you know, find those times where I had to actually, you know, here's my homework time. Here's my time where I need to focus on football and spend this. But like, you know, it's time management for sure. That's that's the biggest one. And I, I mean, the camaraderie that comes with it. I think people always just they, they need to understand how meaningful that is. Um, I've seen guys who you know leave the team and kind of fall off and just mm-hmm. not have yeah. that. You know, when they go in to be a student, they don't have those same guys around them and stuff. It's just not the same, and it's it's really different. You know, to go from being a student athlete to just a student, and I don't think like regular students really get that, and that's really kind of like where that drop off comes. I have a question for both of you. Um, I have a question for both of you, and and I'm hoping you'll be able to to connect the dots um, for folks based upon your your individual experiences. When we think about the anatomy of an athlete, one of the things that comes to mind is natural ability. But then we also hear this term of coaching a player up. Can you connect the dots for us on the, 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 how do I want to answer this? Connect the dots between coached up ability and natural ability as it relates to performance. And what does that look like within the context of the athlete's mental health too? And whoever wants to go first. I'll let you go first, Kevin. Definitely. I think that natural ability, I, I'll always say, like, I'm not a naturally gifted football player. I'm not the mm. biggest guy. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not the tallest guy. I'm not, you know, 
wasn't huge when I got into football and everything like mm-hmm. that. I think it took a lot of tour days, a lot of just commitment and grind. And I think mm-hmm. that with players, I, like that phrase, um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. That yeah. phrase is something that is so real, like real, real, real deal to me. Because I have shared the field with guys who have NFL talent. Like yes. whether it's the size and the stature, the capability, but it's just they've been told and gassed for so long that you're going to do it, you're going to do it, you're going to do it, that they don't take being coached up well, that they don't wow. take coaching well and being coachable. I think that I've made it this far simply off of being coachable and listening, you know, right. because I've been able to get, like, I, again, I, I wasn't the biggest guy. I wasn't, you know, the best player every time I stepped on foot to the field. But I think that with coaches, if a coach is coaching you up, if a coach is talking to you, that's the best thing you can do. I don't care if he's ripping me. I don't care if he's, you know, congratulating me. If he's talking to me. That's the best thing you can do. And so I feel like with getting coached up, even if you have that natural ability, you have to still, like, take that step to the side and say, okay, I the coach knows better than me. Like, mm. the people who are in these positions know more than I do. Just because I was that guy in high school, just because I was first team all state last year, doesn't mean that I'm above these, you know, the coaching staff and above coaching. And I think that's where it all comes down to, really, is people think that they get to these places and they get satisfied. You cannot get satisfied with sports. And when you get satisfied with sports, you become stagnant. And I think that's where it comes. Like, that's the doc, you know, like that, that, this guy you see, and you're like, man, why didn't he make it? Okay. Like, why wasn't, why wasn't it going on? It's like he thought, he might have thought he already made it. You know, he might have already thought he's above all oh, this coaches, the D2 coach. What, like, I got friends at NFL telling me I'm great. I had gotten told by a coach at D1 last year I was supposed to be here, so I already know what it is. And it's right. like they get in this mindset that they don't have to keep going. They don't have to. Every day mm-hmm. is an opportunity. Every day is a chance to work hard. Every day is a day to be coached hard and everything. You have to take that and you have to grow. Mm-hmm. And that was something I think I was able to do well was just be coachable. And listen, if a coach says something to me one time, I do not want him to say it to me twice. <laughs> well, okay. That was, that was a beautiful answer, man. And and, and I'll piggyback off of it a little bit because I think you answered it, you know, to, mm-hmm. to the umpteenth degree. Um, you know, I, I was kind of like you. I, I wasn't the uh, most athletically gifted, um, but I was I was gifted with the ability to work hard um, and understand that hard work, you know, will pay off. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, at the high school level and the college level to play with people who had, you know, supreme talent. I mean, I always say, you know, there were so many people that I, I had the, for, the opportunity to play with that just had God-gifted ability that you couldn't coach or teach. Like, you know, some people just had, I had this teammate at State um, from Florida, about 6'3", probably about 220, 225. He was one of our stand-up defensive ends when we ran a 3-4 system. And I kid you not, we had testing day. He came out there in literally some soccer cleats, some basketball shorts, and nothing else on, and ran a four three forty while pulling his pants up halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, just, just, I mean, just stupid gifted. Like, I mean, just literally, just gifted all out of the world. And like you said, you know, a lot of times it comes down to, you know, can you be coachable? Can you follow directions? Can you fit amongst a team? Um, and another thing too that a lot of people experience who are extremely talented but but might not work hard is being challenged. Um, mm-hmm. how, many, how many teammates did you see where their first real challenge 
was not getting the starting spot just because of their name or not getting playing time because they thought they were better than everybody else. And when they come across a real challenge for the first time and they've never actually had to really put that work in or really focus in or lock in, you start to see them, you know, give up or sabotage or go against the grain because it's like, yo, like this is the first time I've had a challenge. It ain't going my way. Now what do I do? And, you know, unfortunately, I know a lot of hometown legends too, a lot of hometown heroes who, you know, didn't get to go to play college football, whether it was grade support system or like you said, coachability and accountability. Um, so I, I think that definitely, you know, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you're not willing to work amongst a team, be coachable and work hard, your talent might get you to the next level. Hell, it might get you to the professional level, but each level you go up, the more, the more people are at that level, they're interested in it. They're locked in. They're buying into it because they know how hard it is to maintain that level of success and that level of notoriety. So if you don't have that ability to want to work hard consistently day in and day out, like Kevin said, you might get far, but you will never get as far as you think you should if you don't have that ability to work hard behind the talent. Um, Can I piggyback on that? But finish your thought. No, no, no. Oh, no I was, I, was, I had, I had a, uh, one more question for Kevin before we wrap up. Go ahead. Go ahead. You ask yours first, and then I'll ask mine lastly, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. So, so Kevin, my, my final question, man, is um, so it's kind of another two-part question. So part number one, um, did you have dreams of, of, of making it to the NFL? Um, and, and two, you know, um, Kind of talk about your transition a little bit from being a student athlete to just being a regular, you know, regular everyday citizen. What was that like? What were some maybe of your hardships or some of the things that you learned about yourself in the process of not having sports in your uh, everyday life? Definitely. I think that um, I've watched the NFL for so long. Um, like I said, I'm a huge Birds fan. Like, I think that the aspirations have always been inside me. Like everybody wants that. Everybody and I, I really, like, everybody who's at this level wants to play in the league. Um, I, I think that something that was really important to me was let, not letting the game be the only thing in my life. Um, when mm-hmm. LeBron and Rich, um, when LeBron, Maverick Carter came out with that I am more than an athlete, like, it really, like, it really made me think, like, yeah, like, I am more than just an athlete. And so I had league dreams, of course, like, just, like as a as a dream though, more than it was a realization. Um, I think even with seeing those around me reach that pinnacle, I'm extremely happy for their success. Those are my guys. Like I love watching my guys get there. But my biggest thing was even when even if I had ever gotten there, the stability has always been an issue. The NFL stands for not for long. So it's like, you know, I don't want this to be what all my eggs are in because if I get there and I'm practice squad, cut, practice squad, maybe play one game, you know what I'm saying? You could be in Miami today, Minnesota tomorrow. And so I've always thought I need to just maximize my ability. I'm only going to be this age. I'm only going to have this athletic ability and this, you know, I could wake up at the crack of dawn, go to sleep as late as possible. So I need to maximize my opportunity. And if I get there, I get there. That's kind of always how I felt about it. But it was never to where I was like, I need to get to the NFL. I wake up like, League, league, like no, nah, I, I just think day by day, Kevin, just get better. Just get better as a defensive tackle today. If you got better as a football player today, then you can help the team. Did I get better as a leader today? Um, that that was always my thing was just trying to be a better me, like one percent better every day in terms of the football. And if it would have came, it would have came. But I, like I said, I'm not even tripping. <laughs> I got a couple of surgeries on me now, and so 
Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool. I think that I maximized the opportunity and got free education. Um, like, you know, something that a lot of people can't do. And so I think that I, I was able, I'm able to respect the game and look at what the game did for me versus yeah. having us like, oh, well, if I would have never got hurt, I would have been right there. Like, nah, that's not me. Um, and then that transition is something I'm still finding. Um, simply just I haven't jumped into a career yet. I think that's the biggest thing mm-hmm. is that I think once I kind of get into a career and get out of it, I'm still right by the school. And so I think once I get out of that, I'll start to see it a little bit more. But I, I think it's something that I'll always be around too. It's not like, you know, it's never going to leave me. I love sports. And so I'm going to transition out of my playing phase into my, you know, I'm a commentator. I'm a watching. I'm just I'm able to do all that and see all that. But I think that it's it's been weird. But at the same time, I think I I used it. I juiced it. So I feel I don't feel like I left any questions to be asked or anything like that. And that can transition smoothly into my you know my adult life. <laughs> nice. Word. Nice. 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 Thank you nice. for that, man. Thank you. No problems. No doubt. So I have a final I have a final statement that I want you two to respond to and then after you both respond ronnie you can close us out if that's okay okay i want you to respond to this statement stepping up to learn in action stepping up to learn in action as it relates to the anatomy of an athlete Man, I think that's a good one. I think that everything that it comes with, you got to just be able to put yourself there and put yourself in the position mentally. Like the physical things, I think you could talk about it all the time and you just going to have to push yourself and step up into it. But I think when you say stepping up into action in terms of the anatomy, it's understanding yourself and the complexities that come with like, you know, your brain and how you feel mentally. Mm-hmm. And truly stepping up, you know, looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I got to feel the best. I have to, you know, do what I have to do, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I have to take these steps, you know, to be that person. And, you know, to keep playing with a clear mind, to have a clear mind, to be able to be a communicative person. You can't just say those things. You have to put them into action. Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, you have to step up. And it takes a lot, especially as an athlete. But you have, you can't just say it. You got to step up and you got to do it for sure. When I when I hear that, uh, um, I'm glad Kevin went first because I I was definitely you know my my wheels don't spin as fast on Saturday mornings all the time, um, so I'm glad Kevin went first to kind of give some clarity on that a little bit because I thought Dr. Piss was over there speaking in tongue for a second. I was like, man, what what chapter <laughs> verse was that one? I I didn't see that one in Sunday school. But wrong um, with you, man. When I think of that, I, one of the first things I think of is, you know, you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, when I when I think about stepping up into action, it's about knowing that at some point along the journey, whether it's being an athlete, uh, an adult, a man, woman, whatever the case may be, there will come a time when you have to step up and be ready to take action, no matter what it is or what that mm-hmm. looks like. And if you're not ready, you know, you find yourself making a an impulsive choice, an impulsive decision that might, you know, might not work in your favor. It might work one time, you know, you get caught off guard and you got to step up into something, make a decision and it might work out in that favor. But 
anytime you're not prepared, one of my one of my favorite life quotes is, "If you prepare, if you fail to prepare, you're preparing to fail." Mm-hmm. So if you're not prepared, if you're not ready, then when that moment comes when you have to be ready and you have to step up, you know, mm-hmm. it's either you know it is just like in practice. You know, we practice because when game time comes around and those situations come around, we know what to do. We're not caught off guard. We're ready to go out mm-hmm. there and attack it. But if you're not ready, now everybody's scrambling. We're looking for a leader. We're looking for somebody to give us guidance and direction. And it oftentimes doesn't always work out well. So you stay ready. You ain't got to get ready. Um, and, and and so, man, Kevin, man, thank you so much, man. We got, you know, I know we only had an hour and everything, but we're going to get you back on here, man, because you are a phenomenal guest, bro. You shared a lot of insight and a lot, a lot of uh, testimony today, man. We really appreciate you taking the time out to uh to be with us today um he'll be and, back in two weeks yeah okay Dr. Word. Fish, Word. Word. Awesome. Dr. Fish, awesome yeah i'm, I'm thankful Come on it. You guys march tonight. 11th <laughs> Bet. all right Bet. so man thank you again for being on here man uh look forward to having you back in a couple weeks and, and once again y'all that's another episode of house talk free game make sure y'all like and subscribe on the video make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend and we'll catch y'all back here next week bye everybody thank you